awesome to be back here again with you at Sherwood. And I'm really thrilled, by the way, to have my wife here because I've told her she hadn't been able to come before. And uh, I've said, I come back every time and said, okay, next time I go to Sherwood, you're going. And uh, we have eight kids and we have 15 grandkids that are aged 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1. And two that were born on the same day in two different states in June. It makes me tired just repeating that, actually. But uh, so she's a busy woman, but I'm thrilled that she's here to experience you people because you are wonderful folks. You know, it's been a, it's been a blast being with the uh, staff. Uh, I, I love your staff, and I love to get to know them more. Every time I'm here, I learn new things about them. For instance, there's some things I learned this weekend that I didn't know about your staff. And I feel like it's, it's really my responsibility to clue you in if you didn't know this. For instance, did you know that Jim McBride was once a stunt double for Tom Cruise? I know that's hard. It's hard to believe. But it's, it's true. I know you believe that. And uh, Michael Catt. I didn't know this about Michael. I've known him a long time. Did you know that he used to run a game show on TV? Yeah, you've, you've heard that, uh, you know, uh, do you know as much as a fifth grader or something? What, you know, he did one. He had this great idea for uh, do you know as much as a preacher? Uh, it never really got out of the pilot stage. Uh, Apparently, it didn't last very long. But anyway, and, and then this one shocked me, I found out this weekend, uh, that Ken Bevel once was the lead, not the second, he was the lead dancer for the Atlanta Ballet. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? And then the other thing I found out, and I've, I've known this for a long time, I'm sure you have too, that Debbie Toole really runs Sherwood Baptist Church. Can I hear an amen on that one? I mean, she writes all of Michael's sermons. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, the other thing you need to know is that I'm a big, fat liar, right? I mean, none of that's true. But it's, it's fun to learn new things about people. And, and uh, this morning, as I was thinking and praying about what God wanted us to look at in terms of revival and personal revival, one of the people that you need to really know more than others is yourself. Because there's some things about you that everybody knows, and there's some things about you, though, that only you and Jesus know. But what we're going to see today in Mark 10 is that there's some things about you that only Jesus knows. Now, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Mark chapter 10 to a, a familiar story to most of us. We call it the story of the rich young ruler. And we'll begin in verse 17, Mark 10, verse 17. The Bible says, as, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, by the way, just pause right there for a moment. You know what Jesus was doing right there? Here was this man who asked this question, and Jesus took the law, the Ten Commandments, which is nothing more than an expression of the nature and the character of God, 
And the Bible says the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ. The reason is because when we try to do the law on our own, we can't do it. Nobody can do those things. And the interesting thing was he answered him in verse 20. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Well, I mean, you've never heard a more bald-faced lie in your life, right? You hadn't kept all those things. And Jesus was trying to help him see you are not good without Christ. You, you, you are not what you need to be. You are not measuring up to what God created and designed you to be because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the glory that we were created to be in Him. So he's trying to help this guy see his need. That's the beginning point of real revival, isn't it? I mean, if we come here this morning and we just say, well, you know, I'm here, you know, this morning because I always come to church and, and that's great. Or I'm going to come to refresh in a few weeks because, you know, it's the thing we do in, in September. It's a very different thing and you will find revival when you say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every hour I need you. This man didn't see it. So Jesus went a little further, look in verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And he said to him, there's one thing that you lack. I want you to go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, his face fell, one translation says, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Now this morning, I want you to just, if you can, kind of put yourself in a little case, if you would, and I don't want you to think about your wife, your husband, your parents, your, the other students sitting beside you. I want you to think about yourself, because the truth of the matter is, there's some things about you that everybody knows. Everybody knows. Here was this man, and uh, Mark immediately picked up on this. He was a rich man. I don't know if it's because of the way he dressed or the, you know, he had mag wheels on his chariot, or I, I don't know what the deal was. But, but it was very obvious this guy was wealthy. He had much wealth and much property. He was healthy. He was young, right? I mean, he had his whole life in front of him. He, 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 he was... Uh, a young man, and it doesn't say it in this account, but in Luke it tells us that he was a ruler. Again, I don't know how, if he'd been elected to some position or if uh, he, he worked in a place where everybody knew what he was, but he had the reputation, and everybody knew. Look, look at this man. He had everything going for him, right? I mean, he was, he was wealthy, he was healthy, and he was a ruling man. He had reputation, he had position and status. Everybody knew this about this guy. Very obvious. And there, there are some things about you that everybody knows. You know, I, can, I love to people watch. Do you like to do that? I mean, sometimes I, I'm in an airports a lot, and I'll, I'll sit there and just watch people. I'll try to figure out, by the way, Michael, I can spot a preacher at 100 yards. I don't know what is that. You know, that, I don't know what it is. It's sad, really. Uh, but, you know, you, you'll sit there in the airport or somewhere in a mall somewhere, and you're looking at people, and it's very obvious. Some people are tall, right? I mean, just look, that's a tall man. 
Some people are, you know, vertically challenged. They're a little bit smaller, right? Some people have hair. And then there's the rest of us. That uh, somebody asks me, what color is your hair now? I said, it's blank, right? It's not much up there anymore. Uh, some people are kind of loud and boisterous, you know. They kind of have a sanguine personality. Some people are very shy and retiring, and you can tell that in a few minutes of being with them. Uh, some people are real intense, you know, man, to be around them. You know, they, they make coffee nervous, right? <laughs> They're just very intense. And then some people just lay back, you know, just go with the flow. Uh, I mean, you just tell. It just, just doesn't take long to know some things about you. In fact, the truth of the matter is, I could sit down with you and you with me, really, and I could talk to you about 30, 45 minutes, and I could know a lot about what's in your heart. You know why? Jesus made a statement in Matthew 12, 34. He said, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. You get about around some guys, and it's just all fantasy football, man. They just... They know fantasy football. They don't know much about Jesus, but they know a lot about fantasy football. Or it's all about work, or it's all about this, or it's all about that. You know, the latest dress, the latest singers, whatever it is. The mouth speaks. He's making a statement of fact out of that which fills the heart. So there's some things about you that just everybody knows. But here's the second truth that we see in this passage, and that is there's some things about you that only you and Jesus know. Now this is the amazing thing about this story. That here was this man who had his health. He had riches. He had position and power. And I'm sure this was like the guy voted, voted most likely to succeed. People looked at him and thought, man, if I could just be that guy. Man, he is living the dream, right? He has he is really got it all. If I could just have wealth like he has, I mean, he has no worries, you know. I bet his life is wonderful. Or if I had that position, if I could just climb up and people would look at me like they look at him, man, then I would be really happy. I could, I could have what it's all about. But the interesting thing is he came to Jesus and he asked him one question. He said, Jesus, I don't have life. How do I get? life. I mean, of all the guys that would have asked Jesus this, you wouldn't think this would be the man that would say, there is something missing inside of me. I don't know quite how to describe it, but there's an emptiness in my heart. With all that I've got, it's not giving me life. How do I get life? Only he knew this, and Jesus, of course, knew it. A lot of us are like this. For instance, you may give off the impression, everybody looks at you and they think, man, that guy just got it all together. He's completely controlled. She's completely controlled. She has life. You know, she's very clear about everything. But inside, there's tremendous turmoil and confusion. I was in Ruston, Louisiana years ago, and uh, I was at this uh, dinner, and the president of Louisiana Tech was there, and a, a man who was in the church where I was preaching, one of the professors was there at the other end of the table. We were talking about that man. He said, that man is the most brilliant man on our campus, hands down. He's light years above everybody else. I can't even hardly talk to him 
and he was the president of the college just because of his intellect. In fact, I think he's probably the smartest man I've ever met in my life, brilliant man. A few nights later, I was in a meeting where that man, this professor, stood up at a microphone, and here's what he said. He said, I have three earned PhDs. I've written 25 books that are used all over universities all over the world. And he said, I realized a few nights ago I am totally confused. I don't know how to be a man. I don't know how to be a husband. I certainly don't know how to be a father. And I don't even really know how to be a Christian. Who knew? But he knew. And maybe that there's somebody here this morning like that, or somebody who would say, you know, on the outside, everybody looks at our family, and it looks like we've got this great, happy family. But, but what they don't know is when the shades are pulled and the doors are shut, there's so much turmoil in our home. I mean, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's arguing. We go seasons where we don't even talk to each other. Or here, you might say, I'm just kind of bored. I've just gotten kind of bored in my home, which is an extremely dangerous place to be when your heart is not thrilled by your family and vice versa. And, and who knows, it may be your days or weeks or months away from an implosion, but everybody else doesn't know that. People come up to you and say, how are you doing? How's your family? And you know how in church everybody's fine? How you doing? Fine. How's the family? Fine, fine. Oh, we're just fine. <laughs> you know, it's amazing what happens when we come through that door, you know. It may be that uh, you give on an appearance on the outside that's not true on the inside. This happened to me. Uh, I, I remember so vividly when I was about the age of some of you students. I was in high school, middle and middle school, and I came to know Christ when I was young, but I had... I had got my heart kind of turned away from Christ. I just drift away from him and thought that there were other things that I would give me life instead of that. So I was wearing these masks. And, and so I, I had a church mask, a little Sammy Sunday school mask. You know, all the little ladies would pinch my cheek. They thought I was so wonderful. And then I had a home mask. And then I had a school mask. In fact, I had several school masks. I had one for this group, and I had another one for this group. And I really wanted this group to like me, so I'd wear this mask to kind of appease this group because I, I would do anything to make you like me. Whatever I needed to do, that's what I do. That's wearing all these masks. I remember so vividly. It's like yesterday, and I'm a little older than that now, when I remember waking up one night and thinking, I have no idea who I am. I don't know who I am. Am I that guy? Am I this guy? I mean, who really am I? But on the outside, everybody thought I had it all together. Some things about you that only you and Jesus know. For instance, you may act like your life is full and happy, but when you get quiet and the activity stops, you feel very unfulfilled and empty. You may try to cover it up, but maybe your heart is filled with a whole lot of hurt. Anybody in here been hurt? Right? I mean, 
If you hadn't been hurt, I tell people just keep breathing, right? It's going to happen. We live in a sin-wrecked, sin-damaged world. It touches all of us. We're going to be hurt. I've been deeply hurt in my life at times uh, from places I didn't even dream that that hurt would come. And what happens with hurt, I've talked about that. this actually here, I think, before. What happens is we have kind of a ledger book in our heart, and when we get hurt and, and there's a face attached to that, we write it down on the ledger book because we want to make them pay. I mean, they hurt us. The only thing we know to do is, well, I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to withdraw from them. I'm going to attack them. And if I let that hurt just stay in my heart and I don't process it God's way, it turns into what the Bible calls bitterness. It's just harbored hurt. That's all it is. If I don't learn how to forgive, it's just bitterness. And the, the tragedy about bitterness is that Hebrews writer says that bitterness always springs up. You think you've got it covered, but it comes out. It just comes out. You just don't know it. It always springs up. It always causes trouble and it always defiles many. It doesn't just touch you. Hurting people hurt people. It's just true. I watched it for many, many years. But on the outside, you know, you kind of act like, well, hey, I'm fine. I got it. I know I was deeply hurt by my dad, by my parents, by my sibling, you know, by my stepdad, uh, by that school teacher, by that guy at work who kind of stabbed me in the back. But I just, I, I haven't, you know, worked through that, but it doesn't, I'm fine. I'm just fine. Everything's okay. But when you get quiet, you realize there is, a, there is an acidity in your soul. There is a darkness deep down inside of you. And you know if you stop to think about it, and Jesus certainly knows, that something's not right inside. Or maybe you uh, are giving the appearance of holiness on the outside. And, you know, we, we, we kind of get spiritually house trained as Christians, right? We know how to sit up, you know, roll over, play dead. <laughs> we know how to do all the stuff. We come to church, we go to Sunday school, we do all the stuff. And, but sometimes there are dark closets in our heart. All, all of us, I think, have had these at times. Uh, but maybe, maybe you're like one of our guys that was on my staff years ago, and I couldn't figure this guy out. He was on our staff. And yet, I just never sensed life coming out of him. He, he was faithful. He worked hard. He did stuff. But it didn't ever seem to have a spiritual dynamic about it. I don't know how quite to describe that. It just, it was just, it, it didn't, his life was not making an impact on other people. And in a service one night, he came to me and he said, Bill, I... I need to ask the church's forgiveness about something. And he, he came to the microphone and he said, look, I've been, I've been on staff. You've been paying me a salary for a long time. And he said, I just have to ask your forgiveness because I've had a 20-year daily uh, addiction to pornography. He said, I look at it every day. And he said, I have robbed this church and I'm so sorry. By the way, God really set that guy free. It's a beautiful thing. But nobody knew. But he knew. It took all the authority out of his life, all the power out of his life, all the life. It just sucked the life. I want to tell you something. 
you play around with internet pornography. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, bang us on the head here about this, but it's so prevalent. It's just everywhere, and it's everywhere in our churches. You just mess around with that, it, and, and you somehow think that that's going to give you something, and the reality is it is stealing something from you. It's just, it's just, it's just sucking the life out of you and out of your family and others. Or maybe you would say, you know, I'm very busy and I'm very active, but Bill, if I would get very honest about it, it has been a long time since I have just been in love with Jesus. You remember Jesus writing about this? He, he wrote to the seven churches in the Revelation of John, and of all the things that he could say, because these are, these are uh, he wrote those in that way because it's, it's uh, symbolic of, of churches now, and he writes to the church in Ephesus, and he said, you know what? You're a great church. I love this church, he said. You're doctrinally sound. You preach the Bible. You, you do good works. You help the poor. But Jesus said, with a broken heart, there's something I have against you. You just don't love me anymore. You're just not in love with me anymore. Anybody ever had that happen to you? I've, I have. I mean, I've, I've, gone, I've had times in my life, and I'm pastoring, you know, and I'm preaching every week, but, but something has happened in the busyness. You know, Ian Thomas used to say, beware the barrenness of a busy life, right? In the busyness of life, and maybe I've gotten distracted, I've gotten pulled away like Martha that you heard about last Sunday, and, and, and somewhere I had just lost my passion for Jesus because I wasn't intimate with Jesus. If you're intimate with Jesus, you're going to love Jesus because, I mean, he's everything to love. And when you're around him, you see his grace and his peace and his wisdom and his compassion. You realize that he loves you with an everlasting, not a sometimes lasting, but an everlasting love. And so if you're tight with Jesus and you're intimate with Jesus, you will just be enthralled with him. That's why Jesus says, draw close to me. And I'll draw close to you. But the problem is you've kind of wandered away and you have left your first love. I mean, what a tragedy, right? I mean, honestly, just think about this. What a tragedy to go through our whole lives or chunks of our life and we're not loving Jesus. We just don't love him. Or maybe you would be here and uh, you would say, I'm not sure I have life at all. Nobody knows this, Bill, uh, because I come here to Sherwood, but I don't know if I have the life of God, if I've ever had the life of God inside of me. I'll never forget one, one guy in our church in Norman, and uh, he, had, he, had, uh, he was a procurement officer at the University of Oklahoma, and he had been accused of stealing a lot of money and some uh, equipment stuff. 
he was in the courtroom and he had a heart attack in the courtroom and his heart stopped beating. And the, the court bailiff resurrected him, you know, you did CPR and, and he came back to life. I went to see him in the, in the hospital and I said, uh, Bob, I said, man, this was something I said, uh, and I had never sensed the life of God in Bob. But he was a church member. And I said, Bob, the Lord's given you another chance. Don't, you don't always get that. And I don't know what, why he did that, but there's some reason. And he said, yeah, I know. About six months later, we had a, a meeting like Refresh, and a guy came in to speak, and the first night, Bob comes down the aisle, and he said, Bill, I'm lost. He said, I've known it from the beginning. He said, I joined the church because my wife wanted me to join the church, and I wanted to have a Christian family, and they said, well, what do I, I said, what do I need to do? Pray a prayer. He said, I prayed a prayer. Be baptized. He said, I was baptized. He said, I didn't really need Jesus. I didn't really want Jesus. I just wanted to kind of get my wife off my back. And, and, uh, but Bill, I'm lost. If I had died on that floor of that courtroom, I would have gone straight to hell for all of eternity. I'm so grateful. God, let me live. He stood up the next Sunday night, gave testimony to the whole church. The next Saturday, by the way, he was sitting in his den watching television, and he fell over dead. The Lord had saved him, just spared him to save him. I knew a guy once in Savannah, Georgia, who said, Bill, I joined the church years ago, and I just started, I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of faked it. I looked around at the other Christians. He said, this didn't look too hard. That's tragic. And, uh, but he said, I just, I just faked the Christian. I just started doing the Christian things, you know. He said, I faked it so well, I faked myself right into being a deacon. And then he said, I was good at it, at this faking deal. And I faked myself right up the chain. I became the chairman of the deacons. But he said, Bill, the other night, I realized I do not have Christ in my life. And I went into the prayer room, what we were using. And he said, I got on my knees. I said, Lord, I am not leaving this room till I find you. And he came to a glorious experience with Christ. Listen, folks, I want to tell you something. This is really serious business. I was reading just the other day in Matthew where it says Jesus is going to stand up one day and he's going to say, all those who know me here on the right, all those who don't know me to the left, these are going to enter into eternal life with me in heaven. All of you are going into the torment of fire. And he, here's his, I'll use his word, the punishment, he says, because you have rejected Christ. There's some things about us that only we know and Jesus knows, right? Some things about all of us that only we know and Jesus knows. But I want to tell you the last thing, and this is so important, because there's one thing about you that only Jesus knows. That's why the man came to Jesus, is because he didn't know. He knew he was empty. He knew there was something missing. With all that he had, there was still this gaping hole in his life. And he came and said, Lord, I don't have life. And if I was Jesus, 
you say, thank the Lord you're not, Bill. But if I, if I had been Christ that day, I think I would have picked up my Bible, gone through the Roman road and, you know, or my four spiritual law track or whatever, which is great. It's awesome. But the great thing about Jesus is the Bible says he knew the hearts of all men. And so what Jesus did was a little differently with this man who was looking for life. And he still does this today, by the way. He, he made an amazing statement. He said, go sell everything you ha have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. He, he wasn't making a statement that everybody who comes to Christ has to sell everything. That's what he's saying. What he was doing was this. He looked inside this man's heart. It's like he had a zipper on the top of his head and he unzipped him all the way down and he opened him up and he reached inside this man and he grabbed his heart. There's nothing wrong with possessions unless it's the God of your life and you think it's what gives you life. And see, that was the problem with this guy. It could have been anything. But this guy thought, if I get possessions, if I get things, they will give me life. So you just kind of think back, you know, we get so familiar with the Bible, it doesn't seem real to us. But just think back. This guy, probably in his teens, got convinced of this. So he started working. Man, I'm going to get this field. I'm going to buy this property. Man, I'm going to have it, you know. And by the time I get in my 20s, I'm going to have a lot. I'm going to be secure. And I'm going to have life. And he got all the way to the top and realized the ladder he was climbing was leaning on the wrong wall. And he didn't have life. And Jesus looks at him and he says, look, this is what you're looking to, to give you life. Let it go. Quit following that God. But he didn't stop there. He said, let me tell you where life is. Let this go and come follow me. Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the the life. John says it like this, John who knew him so well. 1 John 5, he who has the Son, who has experientially, who really has the Son, has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. I don't know how it could be any clearer. He who has a son initially, in other words, I've come to Christ, I've recognized my need, I've cried out to him, Lord, save me, come to live inside of me, give me what I need, fill that God-shaped hole inside of me. I need you, Lord, and Christ comes in and gives us life. But listen, believer in Christ, those of us who know Christ, it's possible to have Christ but not be really experiencing Christ, right? I mean, it's possible to have Christ in my life, and, and I've trusted Christ, and he saved me, and that'll never change, but I kind of push him off the throne, and I put something else there, thinking that that's going to give me life. It's, in essence, it's myself and what I want, but maybe I get confused about this, and I think, man, if I could just be popular you know, I get in high school and I just think everybody else, that's the deal. And, and you're dealing with, you know, who I am and all that kind of stuff. And, and so you just get to thinking, man, I've got to have everybody like me. I'll do whatever it takes.
to make people, you want me to wear these clothes? I'll wear these clothes. You want me to listen to this music? I'll listen. You want me to cuss? I'll cuss. You want me to smoke dope? I'll do that. I just want to, I just want to be liked. That's what this is all about. I want to have friends and that becomes the thing that I think in my head will give me life. It will never give you life. And we have older versions of that, you know. So I just want to be known and have a reputation. It's the same thing as a 14-year-old. I'm trying to fill that hole. I think that if everybody would just like me, if they knew, if I had some position or title or, or uh, man, they knew what I had done, so I... I, I kind of tell people, I brag kind of subtly, I, I push myself into the conversation. Why is that? Because I think that if people knowing me and, and thinking I'm somebody special, I think that will give me life. Or maybe it's comfort. Or maybe it's pleasure. Right? I mean, it could be anything in there that I have substituted for a red-hot relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the only one who can give me life. You know what revival is? It's coming to life again. And that's not something we just work up or we do. There's only one place you find that. It's coming to Jesus again, right? It's saying, Lord, I have wandered from you. And so I'm going to draw close. Lord, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to lay aside everything. I'm going to, I'm going to, I just want to know you. I remember I was telling the staff this weekend, there was a time uh, several years ago, so vivid to me, I just thought, man, I have just lost intimacy with Christ. And I thought, I, I'm going to just... I'm going to clear the deck and I'm going to go after Jesus. And I'm saying, Lord, I really want intimacy with you. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to block out some times to read your word more, Lord. And, and sure enough, the Lord, who wants that more than I want it, met me in those days and brought me back to himself. And guess what I found? Life. I mean, the best way it could possibly be, the way it was intended. And the interesting thing about this passage is, is that, is that Jesus said, come follow me and you will find what? Treasures in heaven. Here's this guy for looking for treasures. And Jesus said, I got treasures, man. I, I will bless you with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. You seek first my kingdom, everything else going to be added to you. I'm telling you, you can't fathom the treasures, but it's found in one place. It's found in a deep surrender to the lordship of Christ and a termination. I'm going to lay every other God counterfeit aside in my life, and I am going after Jesus. To be found in him, I press on to know him for his life. Beautiful thing in this passage, and the tragic thing though, in verse 21, look at this and we close. Jesus looked at him. 
Now just pause right there. Think about this. The son of the living God looked at this man. Wouldn't it be something just to have Jesus look at you? But the beautiful thing is that I, I have the privilege of telling you this morning, right here, in this place, right now, is that Jesus is looking at you right now. He knows your name. He made you. He knows about your problems. He knows about your struggles. He knows what's going on. He knows what you've been pursuing. He looks at us. And... Jesus felt a love for him. He always does because he's the God of perfect love. It's an everlasting love. And this is the reason, by the way, that we sometimes run to other gods and we won't run to Jesus is we think in our heads, he doesn't love me. If I really surrender to him, he's going to deprive me. It's not going to be good. And we don't realize that Jesus is saying, look, the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. It's complete. It lacks nothing. If you come to me, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water that will satisfy every thirst you've got. And I love you. And I'm looking at you this morning. Everyone, I wish I could just walk down the row with each one of you. He's looking at you. He's looking at you. He's looking at you. And he feels love for you. And he is inviting you to get the thing you were made to have. You were designed to experience. And that is intimacy with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when you get Jesus, you have everything. I heard the story once of a, a man who had a son. His wife had died. He's a very wealthy man. And his son, this was back during the World War, his son uh, went to the war, and he got that dreaded telegram one day that his son had been killed in action. He just broke his heart. He became a recluse. He was a, an art enthusiast. So he just poured himself into getting more and more art, just try to help him in his grief. One day there was a knock on his door, and a, a young GI was standing there, and he said, sir, uh, you don't know me. I served with your son. He said, I'm kind of a fledgling artist. And he said, I, one day during combat, he said, I, I, took, I, I, I took a pencil out. We were just sitting there together, and I, I drew this sketch of your son. And I've thought about it a lot, and I thought maybe you'd want to have it. And somehow that man had caught his son perfectly. So this father just cherished that picture. He said, oh, man. This is exactly, you can't know. And he took the picture, put it in a beautiful frame, put it in the center of his art collection. He'd go by every day and look at his son. Then one day, the father died. And the word went out in the art community that his multi-million dollar art collection was going to be auctioned off. So people came, of course, from all over the world. And the auctioneer got up 
and he said, according to the will, the first piece that is to be auctioned off is this pencil sketch of my son. And all these art enthusiasts just laughed. You know, they thought, how silly that is. And nobody bid. It got embarrassingly quiet. And finally, one neighbor, just out of love for the old man, said, I'll give 15 bucks. And going, going, gone. Then the auctioneer closed the, his book, and he said, the auction is over. Because according to the stipulations of the will, he who gets the son gets it all. He who gets the son gets it all. Would you bow together with me? Just a moment. Mark is going to come and sing and our pastors are going to be here at the front. And as you know here at Sherwood, the altar is open. I can't imagine knowing that the Lord is looking at me and he loves me and he is inviting me to come to himself that we would refuse that offer. So in just a moment, I, I want to encourage you to make up your mind right now that as soon as we stand, I, I'm going to go find Jesus. I, I don't know I don't know how, maybe, but I'm going to go talk to one of these pastors. I'm going to get on my face at this altar, and I need the life of God. There's some things about me that only me and Jesus know, and I need to let it go and come to Christ. And he's the answer that I need. And so I'm, I'm going to invite you to respond. I mean, we're not, the whole point of today is so that we could respond to the loving Christ who is calling us back to himself. So maybe even before we begin to sing, you need to just step out and come to this altar and just say yes to Christ. So as we stand, heads bowed, eyes closed, very quietly, would you just stand with me right where you are? Mark's going to begin to sing. And I just simply want to invite you to come to Christ. Just come, let it go, whatever it is you think is giving you life, let it go and just come to Christ right now.